So we're going through a series <coughs> on money. So some of you are going, ooh, I came to the wrong church this morning. You know, every time I think about talking about money, I always feel apologetic. And then every time I get into a series on money, I'm thinking like, you know, this, this is so important to talk about. And so we're going to talk together uh, as people today, because we all kind of are in the same category here. And now I'm not talking about, I, I think we all know that in Christ uh, is, our, is our true riches, right? We, we are, if you're in Christ and you have nothing else, you're rich. And so uh, we, we have so much that, that God has given us. But I, I'm just talking now on a... Uh, from more of a temporal level here. How many, how many people here today would, would say they're rich? <clears throat> okay, a few of us. All right. You know I'm setting you up. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I just, you probably, uh, I, I just want us to, I want to put us in our place this morning. Okay? So here's a little, uh, Rob's going to help me here. This is uh, globalrichlist.com. And so we're going to put in, let's say that you're, you're, Income is fifty thousand dollars. That includes this includes health insurance, benefits, everything. So, fifty thousand dollars wouldn't be out of line for people. And so, let's see, if you are if you make fifty thousand, you are in the top 03 percent of the richest people in the world. That means that ninety seven or ninety nine point seven percent of all people in the world are not as well off as as you are. So let's back that off to the uh, per capita in Mar Marathon County, which is about 25000 That's per person. Obviously, there's two people in a household making that. There'd be, but let's just see what uh, per capita in this county, the average person, includes everybody. Okay, 98%. So if you make 25000 you are in the top 2% of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. Uh, let's say that you are a college, poor college, any poor college students here? Right. Students, maybe, oh, there we go. All right. So let's say that, let's say you're doing a part-time job and you're making 400 bucks a month. Uh, 4,800 bucks, what does that come up at, Rob? <clears throat> $4,800 would put you up in the top 25, about the top 25%. So you are more well-off at $4,800 a year than 75% of the people on the planet. So we're, if you were to define rich as being in the top 10%, wealthier than 90%, then this morning we have to understand that we are rich. You say, I am not rich. I, I cannot even pay my bills. Well, I have a little solution for you. I can fix that. Just kind of step into the lifestyle of most people in the world. So first thing, get rid of your house and move in with your relatives. Okay? Most people live with their relatives. There's two, three generations living together under one roof. Uh, get rid of your car. Get rid of your car insurance, maintenance, payments, all that kind of stuff. Because nine out of ten people in the world get along without a car. Uh, you can get rid of all your insurance, car, home, health, all that stuff. Get rid of all your, uh, you don't need health insurance because you don't even really have the opportunity for sufficient health care 
if you are like the majority of people in the world. Uh, no need for your computers, internet. Majority of people in the world do not have access to internet service. Uh, and you, you don't need a closed budget because you could actually live very well on the clothes you have right now in your closet and your shoes for the rest of your life. If you are willing to not care about fashion or a few holes in a few items like, again, most of the people in our world. So here's the point. Our lifestyle is always chasing our income. When Vicki and I were married, I was an associate pastor and she was a speech clinician. And we had a little bit of extra that we were able to, to put away, but not a lot. And then I remember coming home and hearing that line, it's positive. The pregnancy test, it's positive, okay? And we went from one income, or from two incomes, to one income. Some of you have been there, right? And guess what? We survived. We just adjusted our lifestyle to fit our income. You ever read of an athlete who has made more in the first year as a, as a, as a young, maybe uh, 22, 23-year-old professional athlete that makes more in one year than you'll ever make in your lifetime? And a couple of years later, you read that he's filing bankruptcy? You wonder, how can that happen? Well, our lifestyle is always chasing our income. We make more money, we change our lifestyle. And by the way, our culture, everything around you is consumption-driven. Culture is consumption-driven. Uh, advertising is trying to make you discontent with what you have so you will consume more. And so we, we live that. Now, I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with consuming things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong, and we all well, we need to keep things in balance. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with manufacturing things that people consume. Uh, if you happen to be a businessman and you run a good company, you're probably providing a living for hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And so doing that well is a way that, that you can invest in people. But you know what I'm saying when I'm talking about consumption-driven? Is that it's all about consuming. And God's design is that we consume what we need, but God's design is more people-driven than consumption-driven. There's a lot that we could change if we needed to. So last week we looked at a parable of a, of a woman who had very little. She was in a place where she was on her last meal. And most of us in this room, we're just not in that category of people. So this morning we're going to look at a, another parable that really picks us up where we are at this morning. And we're going to take a look at that parable. And it, it asks a very probing question. Uh, what do you do when you have extra? Uh, and why do we have so much here? You know, why do we have so much in this country? A very important question to answer. So Luke 12, Jesus is telling stories. He told a lot of stories. And he tells this one that we, we see the setting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, uh, encourage you to open to Luke chapter 12. And here's, here's the setting. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many 
thousands gathered. So this is a huge crowd of people. So that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So you get the picture. There's this massive crowd of people. Jesus is there to talk. The disciples are up front. And some guy in the second row pipes up. And I'll I'll read the account here, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's this guy in the crowd who's inappropriate. He blurts this out. It was a private issue. It was a personal issue. And he wants Jesus somehow to step in and, and, and knock his brother alongside the head and get him to do whatever he thinks he needs to do. Now, in those days, if you were the firstborn, you got a double portion of the inheritance. Maybe he didn't think that was fair. Or maybe there was something going on. Or, or maybe the older brother wanted to keep the property together and he wanted his section out. And we don't know what the problem was. But it was out of place. And, and Jesus responds. But then, as he always does, uses it to make a point. He says, beware of all kinds of greed. There's actually two primary words for greed. One is the greed where you take something that's not yours. And the other kind of greed is a greed where you want something that isn't yours. And this is the second kind. Saying, be careful about wanting things that you don't have. And then he makes this point. Life is not about possessions. Your life is not about possessions. We're going to go to Nepal. Average income there is $3,600 a year. And we're going to meet some very happy people. In fact, we're going to meet some people that are happier than some of us here. You know why? Because life is not about our possessions. And our possessions do not make us happy. And so, we see here, Jesus is making this point. He's warning them. And so so he does it by telling a story. It's a story about a guy who had extra, like us. A guy who had more than he really needed. So here's the story. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He's got extra He's got more than he can even store. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll make bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Did you notice what he thought to himself? What shall I do? I have no place for my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down barns. And then I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, 
a little bit of self-focus here <clears throat> in this man. It's a very, very interesting story. He uses a metaphor of agriculture. That's the common way of making a living there. If it had been in this day, he'd have probably talked about a man that made an investment, maybe in a business, maybe in a company, and did very well. This guy has this huge crop. He's got more than he needs. He says, here's what I'll do. I'm going to tear down. I'm going to put this stuff away, and I can kick up and sit back, and, and I'm going to have life made for the rest of my life. And what we're going to learn here is that he, he doesn't understand what life is really about. Jesus then tells this crowd that the guy builds this, and what he doesn't realize is that night his life is going to be taken from him. <clears throat> so now, who gets the extra? And so, verse 21, very insightful verse. This is how it will be. It's for people who have extra. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now, Jesus is not here necessarily saying that it's wrong to save. In fact, there are biblical verses that talk about it is the fool who saves nothing and puts nothing away. But Jesus is saying, this is how it is with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And so it behooves us here to understand what that phrase, being rich towards God, looks like. And so in these next 15 minutes here, I want to I just talk about what that looks like. What does it mean to be rich towards God's? So this morning, we are rich. We all have, or we could have, extra. And so how, how do we apply this? And so to answer that question, uh, we're going to turn over to, a, to uh, some words that Paul is writing to a young man. Paul's known this young man <clears throat> about 10 years, and Paul's about ready, his life is about to be required of him, and he, know, he knows that. God has revealed that to him. And so he's, he's writing his final words to this young man called, his name is Tim, Timothy. And he talks about, in his final words, uh, how Timothy is to speak as he goes around to churches, how he speaks to people like you and me, people who are rich. And so I invite you to turn, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I think is one of the clearest, most balanced statements on uh, money for people like you and I who have more than we need. And I think it's just very, very insightful and, and well worth looking at this morning and for you, well worth taking time to think about and evaluating your own life. 1 Timothy 6, <clears throat> verses 17 to 19. Here's what he writes. Command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, and in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age 
so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So there's a lot in there. So let's just break it down. <clears throat> Number one, don't instruct those of people like us not to be arrogant. Not to be arrogant. So what does that look like? There's nothing wrong with buying a new car. But Paul is talking here about an attitude of attaching things we own, our stuff, to our personal value and our personal identity. And so if I drive into the parking lot with a new car and somebody drives up with a rusty van next to me and something in me feels like, you know what? I'm, a, just, uh, I'm a, a step up here from this owner of this rusty old van or, you know what? I'm, I'm a little more successful because maybe I'm just a little smarter and a little more talented and I've done better for my, and all those kinds of thoughts, it's called arrogance. It's thinking that somehow what we own has to do with our value or our importance or our success in life. It's an attitude that he's talking about here. So, don't be arrogant. Don't think that because God has blessed you with a lot of things that somehow you're better than the next guy. And so that is an attitude which we have to guard against. We have to realize that in, in just a moment, in the snap of a finger, we're going to be on the same, we're all going to be on the same level. We'll be reduced of everything we own, all our stuff, all that we have, and, and that will have nothing to do with our value or who we are in just, in just a moment's time. We need, to, we need to see life clearly that way. And you can't argue with that. Uh, you're going to die, I'm going to die, and in that moment, you're not taking anything with you. I'm not taking anything with me. Don't be arrogant. And then he says, don't put your hope in stuff. Don't put your hope in wealth and what it can buy, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God. So, don't put your hope in stuff. Put it, put it in God. When, when you get extra and you'd be tempted to think, wow, I'm set now. My life is set now. Don't put your hope in that. Don't evaluate your life in, in that way. Someday somebody else is going to own it all. Paul calls it so uncertain. Now, you can put your hope in stuff. This doesn't really, you know, there are challenges with being rich, and there are challenges to being very rich. And the scripture warns it says, when, when you are rich, you encounter temptations that people in other countries never encounter. You and I have temptations that, that other people don't, who are not rich like we are. But it's. You know, this, this is an attitude you can have whether you have a lot of stuff or whether you have a little stuff. You can still be putting your hope in stuff. If you don't have very much, you can be very discontent because you're putting your hope thinking, if I just had a little more, then I, then I would have something to hope in. And so it doesn't matter. There are, there are some people today who, who make a lot of money. Uh, David Green, you know, a billionaire, the top 100 most, most wealthy people in the United States. He owns a little company called Hobby Lobby. 
and uh, a man who's committed, you know, when he dies, 90% of his income will go to ministries. A man who's already committed well over half a billion dollars to, to the Lord's work. Uh, Truett Cathy, who is, uh, also runs a little restaurant chain called Chick-fil-A. Many of you know, has very strong religious convictions, is, is, not, is not open on Sunday uh, because of those convictions, does not want his workers to have to be working in his stores on Sunday when they could be worshiping in church. Uh, Duong Chang came here in 1981 as an immigrant, worked three minimum wage jobs, began making clothes in his garage, and today owns a company called uh, Forever 21. Is that the name of it? Yeah. On the bottom of every bag is John 3.16. Another man who is, has, I think, not allowed the riches in his life to control uh, his hope. And so, don't put your stuff in hope. No matter how much stuff you have, don't, don't, don't put your hope in stuff. And then, a very interesting statement. He says, uh, the third thing is, or the fourth thing is, or third is, God has given you extra for your enjoyment. God has given you extra for you to enjoy. Get, get that one down. God has given you extra for you to, that's exactly what it says. God who richly blesses, God who richly blesses us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy the extra money that you get. You say, well, what's the catch? Well, there is no catch. God wants you to enjoy spending the extra money. So what does that look like? I'll read the next verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Evidently, from God's perspective, that's the best way to enjoy your extra. And you know what? You know that's true, and I know that's true, because we've experienced that. I remember the first time I went to, or the, yeah, the first time I went to Ukraine, and I went down to Dunham's, and I bought a pair of really cool hiking boots. And it was, I enjoyed buying those boots. I enjoyed picking them out. I enjoyed trying them on. I, I enjoyed how they looked. I enjoyed how they felt. I went to Ukraine, and uh, it was winter there. The first time I went, it was in January, actually. And we went there, and our interpreter was, had been an atheist, had gotten converted while interpreting the gospel for our teams that came over. He'd been a Christian for about two years, and he's walking around. It's winter, and he's got these raggedy-tag old tennis shoes on. So at the end of the trip, I remember sitting in the bunk bed, taking off my hiking boots, picking them up, saying, here, these are yours. I want you to have these. I still remember the look on his face. And I have to tell you, I had a lot more fun giving them away than I did buying them. You've been there. You, you, you've had that experience. You know, the Bible says it's more fun, it's better to give than to receive. As a young pastor, first, I was just, just out of seminary, and I, I remember investing $500 in some penny stocks. 
That's where you could buy stocks for like, it was like 26 cents a share or something. And so I bought $500. I had some extra money. So I, and, and of course, I, you know, I was going to make money on this. And then, you know, of course, the extra money I was going to give to God. You know how that is. And uh, so I, I invested the money. And three months later, the stock was at 52 cents. So I cashed it out for $1,000. I made 500 bucks. I thought, this is great. I'm going to do this again. So I did it again. Same thing happened. I made another $500. Now I was up to $1,500. And I remember thinking, anytime I was hoping that I could get any extra cash, anything extra that came in, I was going to invest it in these oil penny stocks. And so I, I took everything that I had made and, and put it into two more uh, oil stocks. And within 12 months, they were both bankrupt. And I was back to being a poor pastor again. I am a rich pastor. I'm a rich pastor. So, um, but the point that I'm, I'm making is, is this. You spend your extra money on things that you get excited about. You, you, you spend your extra money on things that you enjoy, things that you believe are going somewhere. And so... You know, if it's, if it's stock in a company, that's, that's what you're excited about. What if, what if what we got excited about was being generous? What if we thought, man, I, if I, wish, I hope I can come across some extra money because then I can have the joy of being generous. Now, why would you get excited about that? Now, there is an inherent joy. There is an inherent joy in, in helping somebody that we all experience. That's one reason. But, but the text here gives us even a greater one. So look at verse 19. He's just got them saying, Command those who are rich to be, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, because in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for, notice when, not for retirement, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May take hold of the life that's truly life. So here's the truth that we all need to get a hold of this morning. Our culture is about consumption. God is about investment. God doesn't just simply want you to consume everything he blesses you with. He wants you to have the opportunity to invest it. And to invest it for things that you can enjoy in the future. In laying up treasure in heaven. You know, we, sh- we get so concerned about preparing for our retirement. We need to be preparing for our expirement. Retirement's like really, really short. You know, this, it's, it's improved now, but back in the, in the late 70s, when people worked until they were 65 years old, 70 years old, the average life expectancy after retirement was 18 months for the average man. I saw, many pe- I saw many people save all their lives planning for that retirement, and it was, that period was just, it was gone. That's what Jesus is saying in the parable. 
Don't think about what happens after retirement. Think about what happens after expirement. And what the text is saying is, you can lay it away. The extra God gives you, you can lay it away. You can store up treasures. You can store up things that you are going to enjoy for the rest of eternity. Now, God doesn't forbid us to enjoy things that are temporal. I'll I'll talk about that in a minute. But to be obsessed with just consuming temporal stuff is is to be so short-sighted. People say, you know, people win the lottery, they go, boy, now I can can really live, now I really can live up life. Now I'm set for life. The, The text says they don't know what life is. He says, invest in the coming age. Be rich in good deeds, generous, willing to share, because then you'll take hold of the life that's truly life. That is the life. That is the life. It's not sitting out on a deck of your new mansion with two new cars in the driveway, flying first class. That's, that's our culture's definition of the life. Paul says to Timothy, if you want to find out the life that's life, if you want to know what it really means to have it made and really enjoy the extra God gives, then don't be living the life of luxury. Be living the life of generosity. Don't just consume the extra. Invest it. So, let me just summarize here and and conclude this morning. I'm going to get just very practical here. Just very practical. Um, Four things. Four things that I would challenge anyone in this culture to do. First of all, get out of debt. I realize having a house or investing in a business can be a legitimate form of of, uh, borrowing money, but... Beyond that, get out of debt. Just get out of debt and and learn to live on what God provides. Learn to live on what God provides. When we don't, we're saying that God hasn't provided enough. Secondly, give first. Take that step of faith. If you've never never considered tithe, I would encourage you to tithe. It's it's not a command, but it's a principle that, that is... God is honored in the Old Testament and, and, and honored in the lives of millions of Christians who honor God first. I would encourage you uh, to do that because God will, will bless your life as you take that step of faith. Number three, I challenge you to live simply. Live modestly. Nobody can tell you what that looks like. You can't tell me what that looks like in my life. I can't tell you what that looks like in your life. But you know, it's interesting in, in the Old Testament that there were actually three tithes that were given. One was given to the, to the Levites who, who managed the temple. It was given to, to, to pay for their sustenance and also for the ministry that they did. Uh, it's patterned after when people bring their tithes and offerings to the local church. It's, it's, it's patterned after that tithe. There, however, was another tithe that they brought, and this was for celebration. This is, for, this is what they used when they celebrated the feasts. You know, they took time off work, they, they traveled, uh, they weren't making an income then, they had to buy food and all this, and so another 10% was used for that. And so we see that this was the, uh, this was the common practice, and if you couldn't make it to Jerusalem, the instruction in the Old Testament was take your 10%, cash it in, spend it on whatever your heart desires, food, drink, Just enjoy it 
in a thankful spirit to God for what he's blessed you with. You know, that's probably not a bad pattern. To take 10% of your income and just enjoy it. Take 10% and give God first. And then figure out a way to live that, you know, you don't have to live like a poor person, but you don't have to be living in an extreme, but find a modest lifestyle. And as God gives extra, don't keep chasing your, your income with your lifestyle. Just live out the life. And if God blesses you, then the final thing is take the extra and invest it. Invest it in good deeds. Invest it in generosity. Investing it with sharing with those in need. And you know what you do? You invest in the age to come. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. There are probably many ways that God uses the investments that we make here as we're good stewards. Jesus said, you know, he told the story. He said, you know, the picture is of a steward and, and they, they use it wisely for the purpose of the, of, of the, one, of the owner. And he says, it's just going to multiply over in the age to come. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you rewards and honors that will just multiply over. I think one of the rewards, and this is just one aspect for me, you know, as, as you become a part of a, a local body, many of you are part of this body, and you give regularly to the work of this church, and we are committed to bringing people into relationship with Christ and one another, the body, and, and that changes lives. We've, we've heard regularly testimonies of transformed lives. So as you give to your local church, as you, as you give to special projects, and we've had many of them here from April Challenge to Mission Week, uh, the Philippines, Ukraine, Haiti, uh, the Subic Bay, all kinds of things. As you do that, one day, one day after your experiment, you're going to walk into heaven and, and some young man's going to come up to you and shake your hand and say, you probably don't know me, but I lived on the 27th floor of an apartment building in Sumy, Ukraine. And, and there's this church that went up there, and I was amazed at this church, and I thought, someday I just got to go in that building and see what it looks like. And I went, and, and this guy was talking, and I, I heard the gospel for the first time, and, and I found Christ. And I heard that you're, uh, one of, you remember that church that helped build that church. He said, I, I'm just here to thank you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that church. You walk a little farther and a, a gal comes up and wraps her arms around your neck and says, I know you don't know me, but I'm little Sarah. Remember that compassion girl from Guatemala? I heard about Christ in that school and, and I came to know him. And I am just so grateful for your generosity to me. Somebody else comes up and says, you know what, I'm the one you left that tract and that really generous tip at the restaurant. I normally throw those tracts in the trash, but this day, I mean, you were so generous, I thought, what kind of a person would give me a tip like that? And I read the tract, and I came to Christ, and I just want to, I will be eternally grateful. And I wonder if, in the age to come, if we will not enjoy forever and ever and ever, every time we see certain people, we'll think, you know what, I had a part in them being here. 
I think that's part of the reward that we will enjoy one day as we heed this admonishment that Paul gives to young Timothy to command those who are rich not to be arrogant, not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, here today, gone tomorrow, but to be rich towards God by doing good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, and so laying up for ourselves a foundation for the coming age. Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us today, and we want to be wise. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to be like this guy in the parable that just took his extra and just stuffed it away instead of investing it. And that very night, his life was required, and he lost the opportunity. He could have invested all that extra, and he lost that opportunity because he was a fool. Father, might you, uh, might you make us wise as your people. Father, there's, today as, as we conclude, we are, we are mindful that you are so generous and that in, in Jesus Christ, even though we lose everything, we are still rich. And so, Father, we... Uh, we thank you for being a generous God. Make us a generous people. Make us like you. And uh, Father, might our heart as well be for the lives of people that don't know you, people that suffer and are, are in need. And uh, Father, might we be good stewards of the extra that you bring to us. Father, use these words uh, in our lives, in our hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may God use his word. You're invited to uh, Connection Convey. <coughs>